All right, everybody, I'm Logan Alec, I'm a CPA, and this is my update for Wednesday, February 24th. Before we get into today's update, though, I wanna make an announcement, and that is that beginning tomorrow, I will be publishing two videos a day, at least on weekdays, a video in the morning covering something to do with personal finance, be it taxes, since we're in the middle of tax season right now, or investing, or a review of something, and then in the afternoon, I will continue to do these daily news slash stimulus updates. All right, now that that's out of the way, let's get into today's update. Today, the House Rules Committee released an amendment to the stimulus bill, adding even more spending. On top of the expected $1.9 trillion price tag, this amendment includes additional spending on foreign aid, tribal assistance, the National Science Foundation, and the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Basically, more stuff that Republicans will almost certainly decry as a liberal wish list unrelated to COVID-19, which is what we heard over and over again from Republicans last year. Not that Republican voices matter very much right now in the Senate, at least as we're dealing with a reconciliation bill that only needs a simple majority to pass, but the voices of moderate Democrats like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema do matter very much to Democrats being able to pass this bill to reconciliation. And adding more to this, should I dare I say bloating this thing even more, could make it tough. Let's be honest here. Speaking of Joe Manchin, we know that he is not in support of the gradual minimum wage increase of $15 an hour that Democrats have included in the House of Bill. The Senate parliamentarian, Elizabeth McDonough, is considering arguments on the reconciliation bill today. It was reported that the meeting ended around noon, which means that we may get a ruling from her on whether or not the minimum wage provision and other controversial issues can be included in the reconciliation bill later today or sometime tomorrow. The White House has already indicated that it will continue to support the minimum wage increase, whether or not it makes it into this relief bill, but Biden is also facing pressure from progressives who see this as the best opportunity to pass that kind of legislation. That is, let's face it, unlikely uh, if they need to get Republicans on board. Because remember, reconciliation, you only need a simple majority. That means they can get a bill on Biden's desk with 48 Democratic votes, both uh, independent votes, and a tie-breaking vote from Kamala Harris as president of the Senate. On the other hand, if the parliamentarian rules that the minimum wage cannot be included in reconciliation, and Democratic leaders don't push to overrule her judgment on that issue, then this will have to be taken up through normal reg legislation at some point in the future, and they'll need at least 10 Republican votes to break a filibuster later on. Democratic Senator Bob Casey said earlier this month that if it cannot be in reconciliation— Speaking of minimum wage, if that's the determination that's made in that stand, it's really difficult to see it passing and getting 60 votes. House Democrat Mark Pocon added, The parliamentarian is not an elected representative of the people, and there are some other Democrats who would want to push this through regardless of what Elizabeth McDonough says, but it's not clear that they would have enough support from the White House or from the rest of the caucus. So it's hard to say how Democratic leaders would pivot if the parliamentarian rules against them on this issue but it will only get more difficult to pass a $15 minimum wage if they need 60 votes instead of 50. There's also been some more positioning over earmarks. Some of you might remember that came up in an earlier update. House Democrats are planning to bring earmarks back. Earmarks, of course, being a process by which members of Congress can receive allocations uh, in an unrelated bill for their home districts. How this basically works or how this oftentimes works is you have a bill you know, but let's say something like Joe Manchin doesn't like this bill. Maybe Schumer and party leaders can say, all right, we're going to stick something in this bill completely related to the rest of the bill, like, say, for a research grant 
right, for West Virginia University, Joe Manchin's uh, senator from West Virginia. Um, obviously, Manchin's in the Senate. This conversation is taking place primarily among House Democrats right now, but senators can do the same thing. Now, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell declined to say anything against earmarks when he was asked about the issue yesterday, and it was reported this morning that Republicans are likely to request earmarks as well in order to get more input in the spending process. There will also be some changes to the earmarking process if all this happens. There won't be any earmarks for private businesses, so the funding would be going to nonprofits, non-governmental organizations, etc. To be clear, this isn't going to be a unanimous decision. Some Republicans have already spoken out against the earmark plan, particularly in the House Freedom Caucus. Freedom Caucus member Warren Davidson called it a bad idea. Co-founder Jim Jordan said he doesn't think Republicans should support these earmarks. On the other hand, a few other Republicans have suggested that they would be in favor of the right proposal. For example, Representative Nancy May said, if there's a way that they're done in a constitutional manner, then I think that's up for debate. Garrett Graves, another Republican representative, also pointed out that earmarks never really went away. They just moved from Congress to the administration. So even though earmarks are currently against House Republican rules, at this point, it wouldn't be surprising for them to revise those guidelines, and we might see a full-scale return of earmark spending in the near future. All right, now on to COVID-19. The vaccines going out so far have been from either Moderna or Pfizer-BioNTech, and the FDA finally determined earlier today that the single-dose Johnson & Johnson vaccine meets the requirements for emergency use. The vaccines and related Biological Products Advisory Committee still needs to formally approve the vaccine on Friday, but the information published today is extremely promising, at least from a safety perspective. They noted some common side effects, including pain at the injection site, 48.6%, headache, 38.9%, fatigue, 38.2%, and muscle pains, 33.2%. But overall, they found the vaccine to be generally safe and at least somewhat effective. Unfortunately, the effectiveness was limited to about 66 or 67% prevention of moderate to severe cases, which is significantly less protection than we've seen from the, uh, from the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and the Moderna vaccine after both doses are given. Those are both are around 95%, but that's still a lot better than not getting vaccinated at all. Dr. Ashish Jha, the dean of the School of Public Health at Brown University, clarified to NPR that that comparison isn't the only thing to consider. He noted that even though moderate and severe cases still happen after the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, that single dose appears to be just as good as Moderna and Pfizer when it comes to deaths and the most severe cases that require hospitalization. Johnson & Johnson's vaccine also comes with a few advantages. Obviously, it only requires one dose, and it also doesn't need to be shipped with the special refrigeration that's used to preserve the Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. So at this point, we need all the reinforcements we can get, and it looks like the Johnson & Johnson vaccine will go a long way toward helping us protect as many people as possible. In other coronavirus news, the White House announced two new actions today that will deliver over 25 million masks to 60,000 soup kitchens and food pantries, as well as 1,300 health centers. Even though cases have been decreasing over the last month or so, it's still critical to wear a mask and limit the spread, keep those numbers down, and these initiatives are intended to make masks more accessible to underserved communities. Anyone will be able to take a free pair of washable masks from these locations, and they should be available at some of these locations as soon as next month. All right, everybody, that is what I have for you today. We're still waiting for the parliamentarian's ruling on whether or not minimum wage can be included in reconciliation as the Democrats want. And I'll be back tomorrow with a video in the morning 
on some personal finance topic as well as an update in the afternoon on COVID relief and related stories from DC. As always, thank you so much for watching to the end. I really appreciate your support and I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.